This is the Vet Alumni Podcast with Tech and Prem. Vet Alumni Podcast. I'm Tech. He's Prem. Music producers talking Philly sports. And first and foremost, rest in peace to one of my personal hip-hop heroes, Prem, the legendary DMX, who passed last week at the age of 50. Very sad news, uh, unexpected, obviously, Any when anybody goes at 50 years old. I mean, I just remember when that first project dropped, how hype we were that summer. Uh, the first album, uh, It's, it's all we Dark to. and Hell is Hot. It's all we listened to It's that an whole absolute summer. classic. Absolute classic. I just listened to the whole thing Me the too. other day. Me too. Tremendous. It was just a, a beautiful piece of hip-hop art and, uh, you know, condolences to DMX's family. Absolutely. Okay. The Phil's. They had a 5-1 and one start that was relatively short-lived. They lost 2-3 of three in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, and, look, I have a couple issues with this team. We'll, we'll dive deeper when we go around the bases uh, a little later on. We will, as we always do. But right now, brought to you by ProLine Music, everything for the musician. It's time for Vet Fact. This is a Vet Fact. Tech. You know, Temple's first game at the Vet was October 26, 1974. So we're going with the Temple Owls. Wow. Home cooking. They won 21-17. In, the, over, in their first game at the Vet. In their first game at the Vet. There you go. In 1974, they beat the Delaware Blue Hens, the pride of Joe Flacco. <laughs> and their last game, November 23rd, 2002, they lost yeah, to the Boston College Eagles, ironically. Oh, ironically. 36-14. There we go. The vet fact of the day. Temple, home cooking. Okay, Prem, the big news this week. Yet another bombshell dropped about the dysfunction in the Eagles organization, this time from the Athletic. Now, I find it extremely ironic that Zach Berman was on the vet line with us and shot down my narrative, and just a few short weeks later, he contributes to an article that confirms my narrative. Ah, Zach. (laughs) Well, you know, Zach is a legitimate journalist, and... I love Zach. I do, too, and you know what? Sometimes opinions might be on both sides of the coin. He did a brilliant job on this this article. Uh, It it lays out just a lot of things. Uh, Apparently, the VP of Football Operations, uh, who's basically the analytics guy, uh, Alec Hallaby. You know, I don't know what he looks like, but if I had to guess, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm going to say Alec Hallaby is like your Jonah Hill in Moneyball. Uh, Maybe. Uh, I think he's a lot thinner than that version of Jonah Hill. But he is a Harvard graduate. Okay, okay. And he apparently is the reason there was a rift between the coaching staff and the front office. Prem, what do you make of this? What do you well, make of this dysfunction going what, what, on with our team? What I make of it is, you know, you're going to have the report, which on its face says what it says in the article. But behind closed doors with dynamics and people dynamics and, you know, in a bureaucratic type of setup with this guy is telling this guy that and this guy's telling this guy that, you can, in fact, have favoritism. Yeah. So you can have a situ- situation where Howie, for whatever reason, was just buying what this guy was selling. 
Well, apparently this was like some some secret, you know, covert operation within the organization that this guy only answered to Howie. Howie had his own draft board separate from the scouts. Like the Gestapo. Yeah. This is so, and, and Doug was treated like a baby. Yeah, that's unfair to Doug. I mean, Doug was a pretty good coach for 90% of the time he was here, with the 10% being the end there. Apparently, he wanted to keep a straightforward football approach right. to the offense, and the analytics guy, Alec Hallaby, had other ideas, mm. uh, and they got into some kind of screaming match in front of other people in the facility. To be a fly on the wall at the Novacare complex. It's just unbelievable. Uh, it's really sad to hear this. <laughs> it is. You know, it's just sad to hear this. It's, it's very sad. You know, I, 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 um, all I can say is when legitimate journalists are putting their reputations on the line, yep. releasing stuff like this, they are not doing so without real sources yeah. and real confirmations of what exactly. they're writing. Exactly. It's not just being Jeff done McClain, haphazardly. Zach Berman, these guys are really respected journalists. Absolutely. So it carries some weight to me. But again, I still, I still have to take it with a grain of salt because it is just a report. I hear you. So it's, it's tricky, man. But we, it's, we weren't it's not there. Good. We it's not good. It's not good. It's no, not good no, no matter how you shake it. We'll talk about it a little bit more with Tom Kelly on the Vet Line. That's coming up in a little bit. Vet alumni member coming back for his second appearance. TK. Uh, The Sixers lost another game against a a really bad Pelicans team, but then they bounced back, winning two straight against bad teams. True. But uh, they, they play Brooklyn tonight, and we get to see the Sixers debut of George Hill. Well, you know, that's good. Obviously, it was the <laughs> one acqu- the one acquisition that was made at the yeah. deadline. The guy's definitely a legitimate player in this league. He's been a legitimate player in this league. He's not a superstar, but he's also not a scrub. He's no. somewhere in that middle range off the bench, going to be very serviceable or better. Right. Uh, the Flyers made a couple moves at the deadline this week. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it when we enter the center. But coming up on the vet line, it's TK. Tom Kelly joins us next. Broline Music. Broline Music. Located at 490 Lincoln Highway in Fairless Hills, PA. Broline Music. Everything for the musician. Carrying all major brands. You find a better price, we'll beat it. Offering lessons in person or virtual. On-site repair service center. Rentals. Recording studio. Broline Music. Call 215-736-8055. One more time. 215-736-8055. Yes, sir. Broline Music. Broline Music. Everything for the musician. Vet alumni. And now, it's the Vet Line. Answer the damn phone. We're joined now on the Vet Line by Tom Kelly, a.k.a. TK, on-air radio host for 94WIP, and, of course, a Vet alumni member. Tom, thanks for joining us again on the Vet Line. No problem, guys. How's it going? Uh, right to baseball talk. Are you more or less optimistic about the Phils as a team now as opposed to, say, three weeks ago, and why? Well, it, you know, you look at it, and there, there's both sides. But I think probably more optimistic because... The bullpen is obviously so much better, and we thought they would be, but it's nice to actually see that in action, especially a guy like Brogdon, the you know development that he's had. He seems like a reliable piece now. Alvarado has such nasty stuff that he's going to be a guy you can rely on. If there's one area that I'm 
worried about, though, I mean, it's the defense. This is not a good defensive team. It's really not. And that's something that, that's got to scare you because other than Real Muto, you know, who's really your elite defensive player? We know McCutcheon isn't that anymore. Um, and on the infield, mm. Boehm at third is an issue. Hoskins at yep. first is an issue. Yeah. Even, you know, game one of this doubleheader, uh, you know, I feel like Didi's got to turn that double play and oh. he's not able to turn the double play and that kind of that kind of spot starts the spiral of that inning where you probably could have gotten out of it tied prior to that if he's if he's able to turn it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the defense has been rather underwhelming. <laughs> you know, with Bohm, there have been flashes with the glove, you know, but there was one play where he made it a great stop, but then the throw was off and stuff like that. I feel like they're not putting it all together with the defense. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's something in baseball that – I think you largely take for granted. We talk about the offense and we talk about the pitching rotation and the bullpen, and you just kind of take their defense for granted because I think, you know, back when the Phillies were great in 07 to 11, that was an elite defensive team. It was. You know, you had guys like Rollins and Worth, Victorino and Utley, who maybe wasn't physically the best in the field, but was so, so smart and knew where to go with the ball. Um, and now you look at this team, there aren't a lot of uh, a lot of elite defensive players and the team defense isn't very good. And honestly, mm. that can be the difference between going to the playoffs and missing the playoffs. Yeah, big time, especially in a division that it appears is going to be way tighter than everybody thought after four ga- games. Yeah. Everybody getting a little ahead of themselves. So uh, let's talk about center field then, because I'm fed up with the lack of production. It's such a key spot. Are you a member of the Let's Start Mickey Moniac fan club, or would you rather see Odubel just come back up? In the short term, I would rather see Odubel. And it's just, you look at what has happened to Scott Kingery, and I think a lot of, of what happened to him was too much pressure too quickly. And I worry about that same kind mm. of effect with Moniac, yeah. because he is a young kid just being thrust into an everyday center field role on a team with a lot of expectations. You know, it's a lot. And I think I'd rather see him do it for a course of a few months down to the alternate site before you give him all that pressure. But the Odubel thing, I don't, I don't understand because if you didn't want him on the roster and you wanted to take the moral stand and everything, I'm fine with that. I was fine with the Phillies getting rid of him you know, during uh, all the issues he, he, he was having. Right. But once you keep him on the roster, well, then it becomes a baseball decision. And if this is purely a baseball decision, there is no reason why Roman Quinn is on this roster instead of Odubel Herrera. It oh. makes absolutely no sense. And in the short term, yeah, I mean, Odubel's a streaky hitter. And if he can get hot for a few weeks, maybe winning a couple games, exactly. uh, I mean, he's a better option right now. Yeah, exactly. And as far as what you said about Moniac, I agree with you except for the fact this guy was the first overall pick in the Major League Draft. Mm. You know? I look yeah. at it that way. I think that what comes along with that is naturally that pressure. You know, I, I want to see him get called up, but I'm with you on Odubel. He is a streaky guy, and if it does win you three, four games that Roman Quinn would have obviously not won you, then that could be a big difference come October, potentially. Yeah, and it's not it's like it's not only that Roman Quinn is, you know, not contributing, he's actively hurting you. Like, you see that play in game one where he's stealing third. First of all, it makes no sense to steal third. Like, right. you're as fast as Roman Quinn is, you're going to score on a base hit. Now, I don't know if that came from the dugout or, or whatever, but, you know, if you're going to steal that base, 
you don't pop off the bag and try to go home before you know the ball's in the outfield. Yeah. He's just really, he's not a, a very smart player IQ-wise. He's not a very good fielder. And other than his speed, he really has nothing that makes him a major league player. And he's actively hurting this team. And every day the Phillies keep him on this roster, you know, they're giving themselves a worse chance to go to the postseason. TK, let's shift to the Sixers. At this point, being tied with Brooklyn for the one seed gives every game here down the stretch a playoff feel. Did Daryl Morey do enough at the deadline to put this team in position to hold on to the one seed and get to the finals? Uh, I would have liked to see him do more, honestly. Um, but Right. You know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, I don't know. I, I have a weird feel about them. Like, I don't, they don't scare me. Uh, a ton because you just watching that game Monday night against Dallas. That's what happens to teams that have no chance, nobody to guard Joel Embiid. And Brooklyn has nobody to guard Joel Embiid. Yes, you're and right. Yeah, they can they can maybe try to score 130, 140 points a game. But if I'm the Sixers, I'm like, okay, try to do a four four out of seven games. We're really good defensively. You know, we'll just let Embiid dash you all game. And I would like the Sixers' chances. In that kind of matchup, the teams that scare me more are Milwaukee and even to an extent Miami. Just more veteran teams. I hear you. Better built. Miami has a guy in Adebayo who might at least be able to to slow and beat down a little bit. So, I mean, I would take the Sixers against Brooklyn. And right now, I mean, I feel pretty confident with them uh, against any of those top teams in the East. Ben Simmons, uh, his regression has been beaten to death in this town. Why should we believe, based on what we've seen from Ben offensively so far, that he'll just be able to flip a switch and take it to another level come playoff time? Well, there's not a reason to think that offensively. I mean, defensively, we know how good of a player he is. Right, we know what he is defensively, yes. Right. Uh, Offensively, what's frustrating me, guys, and, and... you know, we make so much of the shooting. I don't really care that much about that, but think about how good of a player he could be if he just made himself an 80% free throw shooter. Exactly. Like, right. He's at 61.9%. Right. That's all he's got to do. is Because when he's not making his free throws, it affects the rest of his game. That yes. He doesn't basket as aggressively. Then he does, isn't trying to get to the line as much. If he was just an 80% free throw shooter... He would be in no doubt about a top 10 player in the league. Absolutely. He, he's actually last among all point guards in free throw shooting. Um, and you know you know what, That's CK? Believe terrible. it or not, he's only 15th among point guards in assists. 15th. It's crazy. And, you know, so much of it really does stem from that. Because, like you said, and it, that affects his assist numbers, too. Because, you know, if he's going hard in the basket, more teams got to collapse on him. And it leaves more guys open from the outside and I've been a Ben Simmons defender I like him and I think he, he's absolutely you know a, a, an effective player but he could be so much better if he just improved the free throw shooting a little bit yeah. I agree I, okay now look shifting to the birds this week we all know another article dropped this time yeah. from the athletic <laughs> claiming all types of stuff how he's got his own draft board the analytics guy trying to tell coaches how to play football uh, uh jeffrey laurie treated doug like a baby uh the dysfunction goes deeper than we thought tk how, how bad of a look is this for the organization well it's bad i mean those guys at the athletic did a great job of reporting all that stuff and you know, I look at it, and the one thing about it that, that kind of keeps with what I've been saying in regards to this organization for a while is 
I don't think Howie is the main issue. Like, Howie is a convenient guy to blame, and he is not without blame here. But let's face it. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie is the problem. And in the end, the stuff that Howie Roseman's doing, the draft picks, the signing of older players, he's really just doing what the owner wants him to do, an owner who fancies himself more of a football guy and a football expert than he actually is. And right. um, unfortunately, nothing's going to change unless Jeffrey Lurie realizes the mistakes that he's made. Yeah, you're right. And, and speaking on Howie's offseason, I do like the Harris signing at safety. I like the Wilson signing at linebacker. They're good players, I think. What are your takes on those two signings just to help the defense in the short term? Yeah, I mean, as far as what this offseason has been so far, I actually really like what they've done. You know, going out and finding guys who fit their system, guys with ties to Jonathan Gannon, yes. the new defensive coordinator, um, on, you know, good value signings. Um, so I like both those guys. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I've, I've seen a ton of, you know, them in Minnesota. Um, but, you know, from what you hear, from what the limited tape I've seen, they look like they're going to fit in pretty well. And I'm really excited to see what happens in a couple weeks because, as bad as it seems, if this team has a decent draft, I think they're going to be better than expected next year. I think that they're rather underestimated because of the quarterback saga they just got past, I think. And, you know, with that said, at 12, would you prefer one of these corners? Because we would prefer one of these corners over anybody else at 12. I mean, it all depends uh, on who you falls. Know, true. Yeah, I'd be fine with receiver or corner, honestly. Like, if you end up with Patrick Sertan... Yes. Yeah, that's what we Horn, want. I'm going to be pleased with that. Same. But I would tend to lean receiver just because it's an issue that's plagued them for so long. And we all know that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I mean Smith they falls. Draft, if Smith think, falls, think about this, Smith. guys. The best receiver they've drafted in the last 10 years has been Nelson Aguilar. And it's not <laughs> yeah. even, like, a question. Wow. And he's, he's, like, by far the best. So, if you're at 12, I think it's almost like... Just don't overthink it. If you're there and Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith is there, just take them, settle that position. Hopefully with a guy like that on the other side, it'll make Rager better. And then you're kind of kind of in decent shape there. Um, so I would kind of tend to go there. But if they end up with one of the top corners, I certainly won't be upset about that. Agreed. Okay, yeah. so before we wrap, TK, a couple quick fire birds questions for you. Jalen Hurts, more or less than eight wins this season. Oh, eight, eight is tough. I'll go the under on that, Ooh, but yep. I think Jalen Hurts will play well enough uh, to make the Eagles consider him being the long-term option. Two years from now, is Howie Roseman the general manager of this football team? Ooh, I would say yes, he is to many people's uh, <laughs> to many people's dismay. Yes, fair <laughs> enough. On that note, uh, Tom, we really appreciate your your thoughts and your insight on, on these topics. As always, fellow Vet alumni member, and uh, as you know, since we just celebrated 50 years since the Vet opening, this is a special episode for us. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, TK. Yeah, you know what time it is. We're talking about the fightings here. The fightings. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. It's time to go around the bases on the Vet Alumni Podcast. Oh, my God.
as we go around the bases. Prem, I have a couple issues with this tape. Let's talk about them. Let's start with the fourth and fifth starters. Matt Moore, Chase Anderson, two guys I now can positively confirm to you are dumpster dives. Well, Chase Anderson's not, though. This guy's two starts. He allowed two runs each time. You, your fourth starter allowing two runs. You want that every time. I guess. He only you goes know? four innings, though. Well, first game of the doubleheader was four because it was a seven-inning game. So you're in a one-run game and you're trailing. That's equivalent to the seventh inning. You're pulling your starter in a one-run game when you're trailing by one, number one. I just don't like this guy. He made one mistake to Dominic Smith. Other than that, he was almost perfect. All right. All right, against the Mets. Now, the game before that went five innings strong against the Braves and only allowed two runs. Matt Moore stinks. <laughs> Matt Moore's pretty bad. He's awful. I mean, that was a really bad first start. We allowed five runs. I mean, I, I watch him and I'm like, you know, where's Jake Arrieta? Where's well, he Jake Arrieta's <laughs> in, in Chicago pitching well. And you know who else is pitching well? Nick Pavetta. 2-0. I know, I know. Two I knew you were going to say Red Nick Sox. Pavetta, too. Yeah. They score a lot of runs, though. You know, but he has a three-something, a 3.27 ERA out the shoot. Right. Okay, let's just let's just skip right to the really big problem here, okay. and that's center field. I think we agree on that. Yeah, well, we definitely uh, agree on that. Yeah, Roman Quinn, he this is a guy that absolutely cannot hit a baseball. He can. He I think at one point he had seventeen at bats and eight strikeouts. <laughs> it's just, uh, got, and then the base running blunder in the first game of that doubleheader. That literally cost them the game. You could argue that. That cost them the game because they probably would have scored that run and never goes to extra innings. If I had to guess, I think we see Odubel sooner than later. I hope you're right. You know, and, and we uh, we talked to TK about it and, you know, he said the same thing. I want to see Mickey Moniak in that role full time. I think your first overall pick five years ago. Yeah. Why are you not... Why are you not playing your first overall pick for five years in the bigs? <laughs> I, know. I know he had to develop, and he was kind of thin. He put some weight on, and he's hitting the ball well now. But with this team, this mix they have of youth and veteran leadership, a guy like that, kind of like Alec Bohm, has kind of thrived in that position as well. It'd be a similar type of Alec Bohm well, I think, situation. I think in September is when, you, is when you'll see him. You're probably right? right. They want him to play every day. But right now, with the way center field's looking, he would be playing every day. I agree with that. Uh, another spot would be the closer spot. Yeah, I am not sold no. on the closer spot. Hector Neris, it, it, it's only a matter of time before he blows a game for you. I, I think Connor Brogdon has earned the right to, to be the closer at this point. I, I like think, I think the kid looks like a pitcher. He has a, a good vibe on the mound. He has really good stuff. He keeps his composure when he gets into trouble. And I think that if you put a young guy like that in that role— and you just kind of see where, where it sticks. I mean, maybe it doesn't work out. But you, I think that with Naris, you have nothing to lose yeah. by checking if Brogdon can be that guy. Because I'm really impressed with the way he's pitched so far. And lastly, I think Alec Bohm is the future first baseman. Reese Hoskins, hitting-wise, he's on fire. But his fielding... At times, it's just atrocious. It's pretty bad, Am yeah. I overstating this or blowing this out of proportion? No, Blake? you're not overstating it. I mean, this is just one more reason for the DH conversation yes. in the National League. And, you know, I saw a very interesting piece on that. Back in the 70s, they were going to vote on it, and it would have it would have passed among National League owners. But the owner of the Phillies at the time, I forget if—I think it was Giles. Someone from the Phillies that was supposed to make the decision was out fishing with their kid, and they missed the meeting. Typical. And because they missed that meeting, <laughs> the, DH, the DH wasn't approved in the National League. That was the 70s, I believe. Listen, for all the baseball traditionalists that are Phillies fans, 
DH will benefit the Phillies. Because you have JT Romuto in your lineup every night, yeah. unequivocally. Absolutely. Unequivocally, JT Romuto is taking five at-bats for 162 games if you have a DH. Right. Because you cannot start him and you, at that you, position. I think you alternate between him and Reese Hoskins as the DH. Absolutely. Because this is, this is what it's got to be. I agree with you, man. I, I mean, it might. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, though. It's time to get to the numbers. Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. You know that the numbers don't lie. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Numbers don't lie. Look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Never do, man. And baseball's back in full swing. Going to highlight some Phil's numbers from our roster thus far. So, Tech. Here we go. As of yesterday, before the doubleheader, Reese Hoskins was first in the National League with six doubles. Trails only J.D. Martinez of the Red Sox, Mm. who has seven. Reese is clearly seeing the ball well. He's very patient and assertive at the plate, and it's good to see because that's what we needed from him. Absolutely. And we talked about that with Matt Gelb on the season preview. Bryce is second in the NL with eight walks, mm. has the eighth best on base percentage at 447, which is actually fourth in the big leagues among all right fielders on base 447. He started a little slow, but now holds a 276 average and has two bombs in the two games prior to the doubleheader in New York. Right. The relief pitching was a key hot topic in the offseason. And so far, the results have been above average. Connor Brogdon has three wins out the pen and had a nice hold in that first game of the doubleheader yeah. as well. Um, he leads the major leagues and wins. Kid has been phenomenal. <laughs> he has a 200 batting average against and has only allowed three hits in four and two thirds pitched yeah. uh, before the doubleheader. Hey, he's been good. Our guy JT Romuto, though, man, I mean, this guy Sensation. is amazing. Among major league catchers, he's his 10 hits. At before the doubleheader yesterday, 10 hits is fourth most of all starting catchers, and his three doubles is second in baseball among catchers, only behind Tucker Barnhart of the Reds. Mm. And the Reds have just been ridiculous out the gate offensively, right? Very unexpectedly. Yeah. Um, and now, among all major league shortstops, believe it or not, none of them have more RBIs than Didi Gregorius so oh, far. Oh, yeah. yeah. With, I, with nine I, I believe now. believe that. Um, you know, he also started the season with a 10 game hitting streak. Yeah, Javier Baez has eight, which is atop the list with Didi. Um, some timely hitting from him after a sluggish first game. But he's somehow only scored two runs mm. through all that, which is in the bottom third of the league uh, among shortstops. You got you so, got to think he'll pull that together. You got to think just with the way this offense plays. You know, we need Didi to round the bases more to reach the full potential. Oh, yeah. You know, um, on to Zach Eflin. He's actually tied for 10th among all National League pitchers with 13 innings pitched out of the three spot. Huh. And his batting average against is just 234. So Zach has been definitely key. Um, well, something we've talked about is being key if they're going to win. Um, and so far, he's pitching like a solid three with two upside. Now, here's a couple fun non-fills numbers, Tech. You know which starter leads the National League in home runs allowed? Go take a guess. Home runs allowed. <sighs> I don't know. Uh-huh. Max Scherzer. What? He served up four bombs in two starts. I love seeing anyone in a natural. I would not struggle. have guessed that one. 
Keep it up, Mackie Stumped. boy. Keep it up. <laughs> One more non-fills number for you before we close up the segment. All right. Two pitchers this fan base was mad about us not signing at one point. Dallas Keuchel and yep. Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. Presently in the bottom of the league yeah. in ERA. It would have been a mistake. Big time. Yeah. Bumgarner came into Tuesday with the worst ERA in the major leagues at 11.20. <laughs> and Keuchel boasts a 6.43. Glad they are not in red pinstripes. Yes. Because tech numbers don't lie. Enter the center. Yes! And the Sixers win it! With tech and Prem. Alumni. As we walk across the street and enter the center. So, Prem, the Sixers signed Anthony Tolliver. They did. To a 10-day contract. Uh, talk about a nothing signing. I mean, I, yeah, listen, I, mean, I could be wrong. He could come in and be an instant upgrade over Mike Scott. But, you know, listen, the way Scott's playing right now, uh, I don't imagine that would be happening. Uh, my vision of a buyout signing is someone who could potentially be a part of the playoff exactly. rotation. Like a couple years ago when you had, uh, who was the Italian shooter? Uh, Bellinelli. Bellinelli. Yeah. Lo- loved it. And Ilyasova. Ilyasova. Yeah, yeah. guys like that. That's what you're <laughs> looking for. Right. That's what you're looking for. And, you know, li- listen, when I say buy, I'm going to buy I-, I literally mean Anthony Tolliver was the last he man is. standing. It doesn't move the needle much for me. It's, you know. No, I mean, you're looking for a rotational player for the playoffs, and obviously that did not happen. It did not. But like <laughs> you mentioned earlier, at least we got George Hill. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we got Brooklyn tonight, no Kyrie, no Harden, and yet it still has this must win feel to it. Uh, Embiid, even less than 100%, is still dominant. But. What about Ben Simmons? I mean, it seems like we talked about it with TK. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it seems like the guy can't even make free throws. Free throws. No, I mean, like we mentioned, he's at sixty-one point nine percent free throw shooting, which is last among all point guards. Not only that, but there's some really weird numbers around Ben. Yeah. You know, he's not only the middle of the league, like we said, at seven point one assists, and league leader James Harden has eleven per night. Ben's. 14.8 points per game is 22nd in the league among point guards. Behind names like <laughs> names like Schroeder, Hero, Conley. But that said, he somehow has the highest field goal percentage among all point guards. <laughs> 54.5%, which tells you what what? He's not shooting enough. No. Because he's shooting at the highest clip of anybody in his position, but he has the 22nd most points of anybody's position. It's mind-boggling. And but you it know is. a couple to, to balance out the negative with the positive, you have to mention that seven point seven boards per game is uh, third among all point guards, um, and one point six steals per game is third among all point guards. So that's the defensive side, kind of like we talked about. Yes, but he's clearly not shooting enough. I mean, Shake Milton averages thirteen point seven off the bench, and <sighs> your your two hundred million dollar man or whatever Ben's getting paid is only averaging one point more than his backup. It's a serious issue. I don't understand. And you know what? You talked about how important this game is tonight. It's really important. Both oh, teams it, are. It's a, it's every a game heat. is playoffs. It's 30, they're thirty-seven and seventeen. Nets are thirty-seven and seventeen. Yeah, Sixers thirty-seven and seventeen. Here's the problem, though. The Nets' schedule down the stretch is far more favorable. When you look at the Sixers' schedule, 
we're going to get the two seed. And I say this because we have tough games coming up. Clippers, Suns, Bucks twice, Hawks twice. The Nets get a lot of gimme games. we got the Warriors again who suddenly look like a revived team with Steph Curry dropping 50 breaking Wilt Chamberlain's record the yeah, other night. Dub Nation. Remarkable. I don't know. The Sixers are going to get the two, and that's just why I feel about it right now. I, I, I'm right on board and in sync with, with you on that. Uh, they are a two-team, uh, and, and you know I'm not going to sleep on Milwaukee. They could end up being a three-seed if nah. they lose some of these well, crucial games. They do got the Bucks twice. They do got the Bucks twice, man, and the Bucks are only four games back of us. Yeah, the Sixers have to keep winning these games. On to the Flyers. Prem, Done. Done. Prem, Prem, they made a couple deadline moves. Uh, and all I have to say is the delusion is real for this organization. It's bad, man. They sent Michael Raffle to the Capitals, uh, who killed them yesterday. Uh, and Eric Gustafson to Montreal. Both these moves were basically for, for late draft picks. Yeah. Uh, while they extended Scott Lawton. To a five-year deal. Now, look, I like Scott Lawton. I don't he's mind a, Scott. He, he's a nice player, right? But let's get real here. Didn't this team learn from the Giroux and the JVR and the Voracek-type deals? I mean, I would have actually preferred if they traded Lawton for a defenseman. I mean, this team needs a rebuild, and it doesn't seem like they are willing to admit it. They keep losing games to teams like Buffalo. Yeah. At this point, they're a disgrace. And, it's a lost and season. I would deem them the absolute worst organization in the city. I would agree with you because the Eagles have turned the tide a little bit, in my opinion, with um, some of the moves they made, like we talked about, Howie making. And they're a dumpster fire, though, the Eagles. Let's not get, you know. They're, they're, they're uh, <laughs> third place above the Flyers right now. I'd probably go Sixers, Phillies, Eagles right now. In terms of ranking. Right. Know. I mean, this is, this is an inept Organization. It is. Well, they're supposed to have their goalie of the future. I mean, they're Patrick Wild at Belfort type of goalie. And, you know, it's a, I guess you could say growing pains. Yeah. I mean, look, he, he has not been good this year. He's had some some really great moments, as he always does. He, he can stand on his head for a couple periods. But when you have zero offense yeah. and your defense stinks, uh, how are you going to win games down the stretch? Uh, and that's why they're where they're at. They just couldn't, they couldn't get it done in the key games where the games were in the balance. And they were in a lot of those games. And they just defensively couldn't do it. All right, I'm with you. Uh, coming up next, joining us on the vet line, it's Ron Sullivan. Stay tuned. Vet alumni. And now it's the vet line. Why don't you answer your phone? Uh, tonight we're joined by Ron Sullivan. Self-proclaimed D-list celebrity, chef and co-creator of Corner Pub Kitchen, and co-founder of his own sports podcast as well, Philly Native. Ron, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. You know, with the Vet alumni here, we're, we're all about the Vet. We grew up in that stadium, went to a lot of awesome games there, have some great memories. What's one of your most notable moments from that stadium? Oh, God. I mean, there's a couple. I mean, I guess most recently would be its last memory. And I mean, I know this actually just passed, too. But it was the anniversary of when they imploded it. Yep. I just thought that was really cool. I mean, it was really neat to see a lot of like the diehard Philly fans coming together and kind of like seeing it off. There was a guy that played taps on the trumpet, kind of as it was uh, as it was being demolished, like or around the building and everything. It was just kind of a kind of a cool moment. Yeah, for sure. And now, as we know, it's a parking lot. Did you know that the vet location is actually still active on Apple Maps? Yeah. 
No, I didn't actually know it, that. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I just found out last week uh, when all the anniversary of the vet stuff was being posted, um, somebody put up that if you type it in on Apple Maps, you actually will see Veteran Stadium as an active stadium. Oh, that is actually kind of cool in a really horrifically backwards kind of way. <laughs> you know, yeah. absolutely. So onto our, onto our present day stadium, the bank, and the team that resides in that stadium, the Phils. What are your uh, overall, you know, what's your overall initial feeling on the Phillies this year? Uh, I, th- I mean, so far, I think they're right where they should be. Uh, I mean, I, I was really hopeful last year that they might be able to compete for a playoff spot. But man, I mean, that middle relief was just absolutely horrendous. Yeah. It seems like getting out of the gate, they're doing okay this year. Uh, You know, hit a couple of bumps in the road here or there. But, I mean, to an extent, that's to be expected. I mean, like I was telling a couple other people, I mean, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you got to take any victories this early or any, like, little streaks kind of with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? You can't really get too, not to say too invested, because, I mean, you don't want to tell somebody not to enjoy it. Enjoy it, but take it in context. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're getting off to a decent start, but we'll kind of see as the year plays out how well they're able to kind of keep that up. Yeah, absolutely. On your your sports podcast, what is something about the Phils you would complain about right now? Uh, I mean, again, I mean, not to beat a dead horse or anything like that, but the middle relief is just horrendous. Uh, I mean, it, I still think it needs a lot of work. I don't have a ton of faith in Hector Neris as a closer. No. Yeah, no. I, li- I like Brogdon a lot, but Neris is still the same Neris. You're right. Yeah, I mean, look, it, I, I think the guy's a perfect setup, man. I think if you were to put him in the seventh inning, all of a sudden he adjusts to his role a lot cleaner than he would otherwise. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Ron, on the uh, fourth and fifth starters? <sighs> Nick's... Uh, I mean, again, but I mean, the fourth and fifth guys are always kind of like a mixed bag. I mean, with any team, you but know what I mean? Wouldn't you like to have a good fourth? Like, a, you oh, know, yeah, like, like a fourth that could be a three. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's... I mean, back in 08, that's exactly what we had. I yes. mean, with that staff. It, 93, you know, too. Like Kyle Kendrick, I think, was, Kyle Kendrick, right. I think, was our it was starter Kendrick. that yep. year. It was Kendrick. I mean, now look, I mean, this guy's not going to be an ace on anybody's staff except maybe Colorado that one year. Right. Uh, but, I mean, for the most part, he was a guy that was just versatile to the point where you could ask that dude to do anything. He would just go out and do it. You know right. what I mean? Hey, Kyle, we need you to be the long man. Yeah, okay. Hey, Kyle, we need you to be the fifth starter. Yeah, okay. Hey, Kyle, we need you to work the seventh. Okay. Sounds like you Vinny know, like, V. Sounds oh, like Vinny V. Vinny V. I've seen enough. <laughs> I've seen enough. I can't take Vinny V. Yeah, seriously. Now, he's a guy I'd like to see try the closer position out. Not a bad yeah, idea. Yeah, I mean, he's the one inning guy. He, he's only got one good inning in him. If he, if he even has <laughs> yeah, that right. Inning. I mean, may as well use it to your advantage. Yeah, I, you know what? That's not a bad idea. With the heat he throws, is not a bad idea. So, what about the birds, Ron? What, what are your thoughts uh, on Jalen Hurts as the QB moving forward? <laughs> well, I mean, first and foremost, if you want to go backwards a little bit, uh, I mean, uh, it really kind of hurts my soul to see the amount of grief that Carson Wentz has taken locally. Yeah, I really I think that the organization kind of. Not to say they did him dirty, because, I mean, that sort of, you know, takes all the responsibility off Wentz. That's clearly not true either. But at the same time, it's like, man, for somebody that you invested that much draft capital in and gave that much money, man, you really did very, very little to try to make his life any easier. Yeah. 
I mean, oh, J.J. Ortega Whiteside? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. Every time I see DK Metcalf catch a pass, I just oh. want to decap J.J. Ortega Whiteside. It does. It burns my soul when I see <laughs> some of the guys they've, they've picked. I just want to punch the guy next to me in the face every time I see him catch anything. <laughs> it's like, damn it, man. This guy would have been perfect. Perfect. And he was, the, he was the obvious pick. I feel the same way about Justin Jefferson. You picked Jalen Rager? In what world? Does anybody pick Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson? Even Rager, you know, I feel I know. a little bit bad ragging on him. Like, I don't want to necessarily drag the guy because, I mean, at this point, he's still a pop. I mean, and it's not know. his fault. It's not his fault they drafted no, him. No, no. I mean, he's going to go out and try to play football. <laughs> right. Like, you know? I don't want to kill the player, but it's like, man, Jefferson was a, like a rookie of the year candidate. Oh. I mean, <laughs> It does hurt. So with that said, Ron, who do you want at 12 when the Eagles pick on this cup coming oh. draft in a few weeks? Oh, God, I don't even know. I mean, I would just go best <laughs> on the board at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, the perva- honesty, pervasive just, idea. Just take Bill Kuyper's draft list and just whoever he's got at 12, just do that. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, every year they just get in these positions where they try to just outsmart everybody in the room. I know. <sighs> you know what I mean? And it's just so aggravating watching it. Like, I mean, again, last year is a perfect example. You know what I mean? Justin Jefferson's right there. That's right the clear there. and obvious choice. You don't even have to think about it. When the Eagles picked Rager, Minnesota celebrated. I know, I know. Yeah, that's and what I'm that, saying. Like, even yeah. if you're wrong, it's the presumptive correct pick. Yeah. You'll at least not take hit because everybody else wants to too. And then even going back to more Minnesota Viking draft gaffes, they could have taken Dalvin Cook. Yes, they could have. As well. Uh, I mean, the list yeah. goes on. We, we've talked about it a lot on uh, our show with... Uh, you know, the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, the last, I mean, it goes back to, I mean, damn, man, almost the time Andy Reid was let go. It does. The amount of, like, early round draft picks that they've swung and missed on is horrific. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. And these are the ways that good teams win championships. <laughs> like, when was the last, like, flat blown draft pick in, like, the first three rounds that a team like the Packers have had or the Steelers? No, they don't do no, that. No, you're, you're right, especially <laughs> with the Steelers, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. They're always they drafting. Listen, they like, listen to their scouts and their football Yeah, they've yeah, always right. got a guy that can replace the guy. Like, they've always – it might not necessarily be an all-pro, but there's somebody – if you draft somebody from that organization and they grab a guy in the first three rounds, you could almost guarantee that dude could play. Yeah, man. Yeah, I agree with that. straightforward. Well, we appreciate you taking a couple minutes out of your day to talk sports with us, Ron, and uh, give us give us yeah, no uh, problem at all. Give us one more vet memory from a game you attended in the nineties. Oh, I hit the. Uh, I was at. The, I mean, this is really, really going back. I mean, this is going back to the eighties. Nice. But when uh, the Phillies played the Pirates and they came back from being down eleven nothing in the wow. first inning, wow! Steve Jelts <laughs> hit two back to back home runs. Steve Jelts, <laughs> wow! Yo. Steve Jones hit switch hit home runs. Like he hit one right handed, one left handed. <laughs> In yeah. the same game, back-to-back. The Classic. fact that I get to tag Steve Jeltz in our show tags oh, this week yeah. is very, <laughs> yes. makes me happy in a weird way. I had the oh 1986 God, Tops card. I had a Steve Jeltz Tops card from 86. You know what's really cool? If you look it up, the uh, broadcaster for the Pirates actually made a comment like at the end of the first inning. He's like, oh, man, if the Pirates lose this game, I'm going to walk home. I heard about this. I heard <laughs> yeah. about that. I definitely have heard that before, and he actually did, yeah, right? So that, oh, yeah, he did. That's springtime for charity. He did a walk from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. That is just phenomenal. Wow. Is, you don't see many yeah, comebacks. Yeah, like that's a cool like story. That. I was at that game, though. That's pretty neat, man. Yeah, there was something about that stadium. Like I feel like our, all of our dads brought us there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the fanatic birthday game, man! It was. Oh <laughs> you yeah, went when you were little. <laughs> I know, man. What, what a great, what a great place, and it's you know, it's unfortunately a parking lot. But like we mentioned, still on your Apple Maps. 
Yeah, the ghost. No, 100%. The vet never dies. <laughs> the ghost of the vet. It lives vet on. The vet never dies, man. Thanks, Ron. We'll, ha- we'll have you on again. All right, guys. I appreciate your time, though. It's time for Prim's Picks. These things are a blowout. A human lot. You can bet your children's unborn children on these games. Here we go, Prem's NBA picks. Yo, Tech, another undefeated week. Yeah. Now back Great on week. a streak with four picks in a row, bringing my mark to 16-3 and three overall. And that's money. Sure is. The Suns not only didn't lose by four hosting Utah, but won by four yeah. in an OT thriller. And if you recall, I told you I could make a case for the Suns winning outright. Yeah, you, you, you nailed that one. I, I wouldn't have thought it, but, you know... Tough game to pick. Uh, they're, and they're playing great right now. Yeah. Phoenix they, looks I know, really good. I know. They were my sleeper pick to do some damage this year before the season. Yeah. Um, the other pick was Denver, who handled the Spurs by 10, easily winning. That was a straight-up winner pick. They just lost um, Jamal Murray. It's going to be tough for, for the Nuggets <laughs> losing a guy like that. I mean, luckily, adding Aaron Gordon is strong, uh, but that definitely True. hurts their chances to go to the finals, upsetting yeah. some, some uh, teams like the Clippers, maybe. Um, so here are this week's locks. Locks. Tech, give me the Sixers tonight at home as eight-point dogs to the Nets. Eight (laughs) points. Disrespectful. It is disrespectful. While the Nets may win, I don't see them beating us at home by eight, maybe three to six points I see. I could also (laughs) see Joe having a monster night again because, like TK said, the Nets got no one one that can cover him. True. Yeah, KD's back. The Nets are strong, blah, blah, blah. We know that. But they just lost to the undermanned Lakers by 25 in L.A. Yes, they did. They're going to be coming in from a Minnesota back-to-back because they played yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And our boys will be well-rested, fresh off an 18-point beatdown of the Mavs in Dallas, back at home at the center, Oof. Sixers plus eight at home, lock. Lock. Speaking of those Mavericks who we destroyed the other night, <laughs> I'll take them on the road to beat a solid Grizzlies team in Memphis bouncing Ooh, back. Okay. It's going to be a tight game, but I All think right. Dallas does enough in the fourth to squeak out a W. Memphis is sneaky good, and I've said that before, and I've actually hit some picks with them. Right. But like I mentioned on our show, I just have a feeling sometimes, and I feel like the Mavs bounce back against the team that's actually chasing them in the West. Grizzlies are right behind the Mavericks. <laughs> to recap, we got the Sixers plus eight. Home at home tonight versus Brooklyn. Rock. Maverick straight up to win in Memphis. Rock. This has been Prem's NBA picks. See you next week. Vet alumni. alumni.